Hi, I'm Michael Goff, Principal Product Marketing for Software Monetization here at Revenera. The podcast you're about to listen to was recorded by Revulytics, which is now a part of Revenera. Rest assured that while the names may have changed, the conversations are still meaningful and relevant. Our guests have some great insights to share, so stay tuned. Welcome to Episode 7 of the Piracy Impact Podcast from Revulytics, where we bring you conversations with leaders from the world of software license compliance with your hosts, Jason Swan, and me, Michael Goff. Jason, Episode 7, the end of our first series, who do we meet with today? We met with Sam Simpson from Gerber Technologies down in Connecticut. Sam and I have a history, five, six, seven years running now. Great guy, been in the business for... 40-some-odd years, uh, very polished executive, a lot of experience, you know, built an international sales organization with direct, indirect, uh, distributors, resellers. I mean, just a uh, really good resource for our listeners. Yeah, and again, compared to some of the other software vendor interviews we had during Series 1 of the Piracy Impact podcast, very different story of how he came up into the compliance world. It was interesting to hear him talk about how they sort of knew about piracy and they were sort of taking a very reactive approach to it and hearing his story about how they evolved into a much more proactive data-driven program. Yeah, it's a different kind of company. I mean, they're in a different space. They focus on aerospace, construction, furniture, but really fashion and apparel is their business. So they sell hardware and software to a lot of underdeveloped countries out there where piracy is fairly rampant. So there was a learning curve. There's a business intelligence play, trying to get your arms around what is the loss of revenue and the business impact. And then, you know, the maturity that we hear from a lot of our uh, conversations, which is, you know, how do you kind of learn on the fly and kind of evolve into a piracy program that has real business impact? Yeah, for sure. And he had some interesting things to say about supply chain and OEM that, again, added some new interesting things that we hadn't heard from other people yet. So let's get right to our interview with Sam and hear what he had to say. Welcome to Piracy Impact. I am your host, Jason Swan, along with my colleague, Michael Goff. And today we welcome from Gerber Technology, Sam Simpson. How are you, Sam? Very well. It's good to see you, Jason. Good to see you as well. So Sam and I go back uh, many years now. We've known each other for probably six years, I would think. Mm -hmm. And Sam, if you don't mind just giving our audience a little bit of a perspective on all of your years here at Gerber, roles you've had, and kind of your journey at the, at the organization. All right. Well, first, uh, Gerber Technology designs, engineers, and manufactures technology solutions for the flexible materials industries, like the apparel, furniture, automotive interiors, composites. We um, provide software design and management software solutions, as well as robotic components. Um, I've been with the company for 44 years. Uh, I'm originally a uh, software uh, engineer and got in on the ground floor of, of this technology. Um, I've been product manager. I've been responsible for marketing. I've been a salesman. Um, I eventually became vice president of global sales and then uh, vice president, general manager of the America's business unit for the company. So it's safe to say you're a loyal guy. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so international sales, you know, in my time knowing you, you've done a significant amount of travel around the world, meeting with 
um, you know, different resellers, distributors, uh, the face of the company and a lot of the trade shows that happen around the globe. So you've been in that role for how many of the 44 years? Probably the last 30. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and it's been a, uh, a fantastic job. Yep. I mean, to be part of a leading edge company, uh, inventing the technology. Said, uh, I've visited over 65 countries during my, my wow. work at, at Gerber, and uh, I've uh, met some of the greatest people you'll ever want to run across. Yeah. That's fantastic. And in all that time, you know, when did you first uh, get a sense that the technology that you develop uh, is being pirated? I would say we've always known that there was a certain degree. Let's say over the last, uh, the company's been in business for 50 years, okay? So the last 30 years or so, we've, we've, we've had an inkling, you know, that there was some software compliance issues out there. Um, but it's, I would say it's only been in the last 10 years that we really know the significance okay. of it. So is it safe to say that in those early years, did you believe that maybe the piracy was coming from educational institutions or maybe certain countries in the globe? Um, I, I think we looked at it as this was a casual occurrence. Okay. Um, an odd employee at a company w would run across a, um, a software version and use it. And a uh, someone, uh, a partner, um, a, a contractor, a yep. supplier had a copy. Um, but nothing really watch bill. A, a student or, sure. or something like that would come across it. Nothing that was uh, in any way to any significant degree of, um, of piracy. Um, but about 10 years ago, we started to get to hear more about it. Um, our service engineers, our sales guys, as they visited customers, okay. would happen to see or recognize something one station more than uh, the customer had. Sure. Um, and um, not saying that it was a formal program wherever we ran into it, mm -hmm. but it, uh, it, it looked like it was it was a, a phenomenon that was growing. And then the company then at some point in that time frame decided to do something about it. Yes, well, we decided to take a little harder look at it and see just what that impact to our business was. And until you sit down and look at numbers, you don't really have a good feeling. But once you look <laughs> at a number or two, it, it was impacting our business. So... Um, at first, I would say we had an informal or a casual program looking into compliance. Sort of whenever we heard of an instance, we'd look into that instance um, and handle it on a case-by-case -case basis. Sure. And how did you formulate that business impact? Was it simply anecdotally? Did you go to some conferences? Did you call some sales leadership? Like, how did you get the, the metrics behind what you could at least interpret as the revenue loss. Well, initially, it, as I said, it, it was uh, word of mouth from our sales and service organizations. And um, th then we started to dig in a little bit, uh, a little more to, is there someone out there that actually do, does this for a business sure. that could help us? So then we started reaching out and looking for someone that could help us put together a formal program mm -hmm. um, to one, measure it, 
measure uh, the impact on the business, and then actually do something about it. And then how did you specifically get involved? Um, once we reached out and we had a better feel for the, the business level, um, um, our, our software group, who this impacts directly, um, we had a series of meetings and it very quickly got the attention of senior management in the company. Um, since it was widespread, it wasn't in one country or in a certain profile of companies, it was much more vast than that. Um, the CEO asked me to look at the situation. I had the experience of working globally in a lot of developing markets where a lot of the compliance issues seem to reside. Sure. I had a good feel for the customers um, and their reaction to a type of program uh, like this. So uh, we set out to uh, formalize a program. You know, when you, when you got put into place here, you know, I'm sure you had preconceived notions of the company had, you know, that anecdotal financial impact you had mentioned in mind. And then once you get going, you formalize a program, you take over, you start to partner up with other organizations, you start to get a data-driven perspective of what's really happening. How different was that from your early findings of what you thought the business might look like? Once we got into the program, Actually, I think we were all surprised at the at the size of what we now look at the opportunity. Sure, it was a problem, but now it's an opportunity. <laughs> and um, with the the uh, we got some stakeholders involved, whether it was our software group, our sales organization, seniors man senior management, all sort of got on the same bandwagon. And how can we? Uh, take advantage of this opportunity, stop the piracy, improve our business yep. um, um, profile at the same time. Um, the uh, um, so we, we started into like a, an informal program, uh, periodic meetings, um, uh, take advantage of the um, the uh, situations as they came along, but then we developed a more serious program with a partner. Yep. Okay. And we started putting together some software tools in our, our software routines uh, um, products. We started getting real feedback then. Phone home data, watermark data came in. And now where we had a belief of what was out there, we had more hard data. And we were able to put a program around all of that data to, one, go out and start researching, investigating, and interviewing on that data to actually taking action uh, on that data and making it uh, part of our business processes. In your business, you've got both direct sales and channel sales globally. How did those folks embrace this program that you embarked on? Whether it was indirect or direct, the channel is very supportive because the channel realizes that it impacts all business, mm -hmm. their business, uh, whether, whether direct or indirect. Um, indirect business, it's the, the customer is somewhat removed from Gerber technology in our indirect business. Yep. So um, that, that has to be handled differently. You have really to really work with your partner 
on compliance, uh, not necessarily win him over because he understands it, but to get him on board to face his market like we would face the market um, and uh, take his relationships he has with his market, formalize that, and, and actually put his program around our program in compliance. Yeah, and your business is slightly different from some of the other conversations we've had because of the nature of what you sell and, and the where the consumers reside. So your the hardware and the software that you guys provide to the apparel fashion industry, you know, does find itself in some of the more rural countries and underdeveloped uh, countries in the world. How have you how have you seen the piracy, I guess, challenges met in some of those countries versus some more developed regions where I'm sure you still get leads as well? Um, our developed markets, when when the term composite uh, compliance comes up, you get many different reactions from the market, the customer, uh, the, the companies. The culture is different there. Mm-hmm. Um, they realize that it is not the same as using a, a licensed version of software, but it's more of a casual, what's the harm type of initial uh, reaction you get from the market. Here again, it comes, it comes education and communication with the market uh, to inform them of what the, what the software is, the investment that's in that software, the um, uh, the um, benefits of using that software, and then of course the not so many benefits of using illegal software, as far as a support point of view, a uh, regulatory point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, while many of our customers are in developing countries, they're making products that go to developed countries. Um, clothing, uh, furniture, and so forth. Sure. And, of course, products made on an um, uh, illegal level of, of, of software are non-compliant to international law, uh, import-export laws, and mm-hmm. so forth like that. So it's, it's more vast than just, or more, uh, more uh, involved than just using a piece of software, in, uh, illegal software. And- have you seen any difference in the response from the infringers depending on what industry they're in? So obviously apparel, furniture you just mentioned, but I know you guys have a big aerospace business too. Is it sort of the same sort of response across industries or does it differ more regionally? There's there's no doubt that uh, there's a difference through industry. It, the industries have different profiles and, sure. and makeups and definitely the aerospace industry that is 100% controlled and regulated mm-hmm. and... and um, um, th- their their product is, is so important to be conforming to to standards and and so forth. They take this very very seriously. Not saying that the clothing industry, the furniture industry sure. does it, but it is not. It's not their, their front and center. No, um, and I think thought. issues of sort of counterfeit goods in the apparel industry is certainly mm-hmm. an issue as well. And when we talked to Andy Clarkson from Dassault, uh, he mentioned you know that whole notion of using counterfeit infringed software to produce counterfeit goods is a much bigger intellectual property issue. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, this gets complicated, too, because what level of responsibility does the kind of global OEM have to the supply chain? And 
do they really look to see what technologies are driving the designs and the materials that are then becoming um, you know, internationally consumed? The OEM is is, is very, very um, uh, focused on their supply chain. Sure. Um, where that may not have been the case 20 years ago, um, it, uh, the uh, circumstances surrounding labor and, com- and that type of compliance um, has really been brought to the public eye over the mm-hmm. last 10, uh, tw- 20 years. So the OEM has taken responsibility, and yes, they're, they're very aware of the issues with software compliance and uh, um, have their own programs and stand behind uh, other programs like ours uh, throughout their supply chain. Yeah, certainly the um, ability for videos and stories to get published very swiftly on what's going on in different organizations and how goods are developed and made and, and um, you know, who those goods then go to. You know, that information is, is so relevant today. And you can see these stories, you know, just spiral and go viral very fast that I think there's a public relations component here, too, to make sure everybody in your supply chain is doing the right thing on the technologies, on the labor, on the taxes, and make sure everybody's following the rules globally. Because there's a lot of different, you know, ways in which the global market inspects these things. Mm-hmm. And you were doing it from both ends. You're doing it from the you know, government point of view, but you're also doing it from the, um, you know, the producer of the technology or or um, you know, kind of you know, both ends of the market trying to meet in the middle, making sure everything's done above board. Yes, and also the, the supply chain, today's supply chain <clears throat> um, it is uh, very competitive. And a supplier or contractor that can provide a quality article product at the right price legitimately, okay, that has an audit trail that is is out there um, looking for business and um, if a company does not match that profile, his chance of getting additional business is not uh, as strong as it once was. Yeah, we saw this a couple of years ago. The BSA had a big initiative, and I think Microsoft was behind it, where they were trying to get supply chain organizations to kind of self-report and verify themselves to say, you know, we will sign documentation that says we don't use any illegal technology. The labor force that we have is paid the right wages and are of the right ages, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And would kind of promote all this forward to say, come work with us because, um, you know, we're above board. And we utilize this level of technology. Correct. Yeah. Um, and um, and, and uh, uh, to ensure that the product that we, we provide is what we say it is. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective because, you know, how do you get business? I'm sure some of these countries that are uh, more advanced than maybe the world knows and more uh, compliant than the world knows. And they're trying to fight against thin margins and make sure that um, you know, they can maintain their business and grow their business, it seems like a pretty logical place to go. Well, there's some interesting angles around just sort of the responsibility of a software vendor to protect its own customers from those customers' competitors who are using pirated software too, right? Mm-hmm. So their cost of business goes down when using pirated software. You want to make sure that your market, your customers are protected too right. uh, from that Correct. perspective. Yeah. Um, and sort of as you guys have been a little bit more proactive in your program, um, are you finding that 
there's sort of this awareness that, yeah, Gerber technology is going to protect its IP and we should think twice before pirating their software. Um, certainly some of the more emerging markets where you have to take a little bit more aggressive measures. Yeah, I, I think the, the word is out uh, when it comes to, to our company. Um, the markets um, that uh, we have, uh, our, our compliance program really uh, turning the wheels really uh, in, uh, in, in full force. The market has seen this, recognized it, and it, um, I think in, in certain cases they're actually even proud of it. Um, that there is a um, an, uh, an awareness uh, of something that in their in in this particular market is, is something that's wrong and is being corrected. And I know it's probably difficult to measure, but is there any sense in certain geographies, if not the world, that because there's a reputation now about Gerber's willingness to protect their IP, that there's an uptick in legitimate software purchases? in those regions? Oh, most definitely. Um, While that that is hard to really quantify at any point in in time, um, we do see companies, uh, smaller um, companies coming coming forth and and suggesting upgraded software or additional uh, um, temporary software to get them through <laughs> sure. o- overload periods of time yep. and, and so forth like that, where we didn't necessarily see that b- before. That's well, that, that's a prime use case to pirate, right? If you've got a cyclical business yes. and you know there's mm-hmm. going to be some volume for a short time frame, you know, you say, let's try to get by. But now that the word's on the street, that's, that's great news that uh, it's promoting good behavior. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, how do you see the program evolving? Um. Within our company, it can only grow, okay, it, it, and, and it is. Um, it, while, as I said, it was an informal program, it got to be a formal program, it's working its way into part of our review process. Uh, our, the, uh, the senior management team is, is, is aware. Uh, questions are asked during reviews. Uh, presentations are made on the program. Um, and um, it, it's it's. becoming one of our our formal steps in in managing the business. And do you have any lessons or advice for anybody out there that's listening to this podcast today? Um, One, it's a serious business. Um, And um, it's, it's surprising how certain companies don't take it as a, as, as a serious business, but it, when you get involved in involved in it, you find that it really does has an impact on your business performance, and it needs to be um, looked at, paid attention to. Um, as far as any advice goes, I think looking at how we started and where we are today, communication is a big key. Communicate to your um, to your company. Communicate to your sales channels that this is for everyone. And it's something that uh, needs to be paid attention to, needs to be adhered to, and it will improve your business. And it will improve your product. Now, although this is a serious business and we agree with you, <laughs> we do like to end uh, the podcast you know, with a, with a little lighthearted story. Do you have anything through the years um, you know, in compliance that's you know, shocked you or amazed you, a crazy story from the field, anything of note? 
Well, something, and I say this quite often, especially when I, I'm talking to someone within our company about compliance and they're not aware of the background. I make a lot of presentations, as I said early on, on this, uh, have, have recently, and just about every presentation I make, everyone is behind the compliance program 100%. We have to have an impartial, strong program. That said, but when <laughs> compliance reaches out to a particular company and the statement comes back loud and clear, but I didn't mean my customer. <laughs> and that's always very surprising to me and a little crazy. Um, the different degrees in which someone looks at compliance. One when it's at arm's length and one when it's close to home. When it's in their own backyard, yeah, yes. Absolutely. I would agree with that. Well, and that's a common thing we see, right? Is mm -hmm. Customers overusing or pirating software happens all the time, and that's sort of a nice tightrope that you need to walk. But ultimately, you want that relationship to be solid but it's going to be mutually beneficial as well. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, and most of the customers we talk to when when you engage at an executive level, the executives don't want this sort of behavior happening in their organization. Absolutely not. It's usually somebody rogue, you know, either a group or an individual, and once they find out that this is happening, they want to rectify it, and they do want to do this on amicable terms, and usually the venom is pointed back towards the pirate and not towards the messenger. Yes. Yes, yes. It's a, uh, it, most companies we've had to, we we've dealt with uh, in, in these compliance situations want to do the right thing, and they want to do it, and they want to do it fast, and they want to um, um, do it uh, the right way. And I think if if you're willing, if the company's willing to be flexible in working with the customer in this situation, not have a black and white rule, but every customer is different. You, you you can get your customer on board and um, not only uh, at the end of the day will they be better off, your business will be better off as well. Absolutely. Well, Sam, thank you for your time. His name is Sam Simpson. He's the Vice President and General Manager here at Gerber Technology. You're listening to Piracy Impact, and we want to thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Sam. Okay, thank you. This has been episode number seven of the Piracy Impact podcast from Revulitics with your host, Jason Swan, and me, Michael Goff. Special thanks to Sam Simpson from Gerber Technology for joining us today, and thank you for listening. We appreciate you subscribing to and rating this podcast wherever you listen. Adding a rating and review helps other software license compliance professionals find our podcast. You can also continue the conversation on social media. Please follow us on Twitter, at Revulitics, and share your comments and questions with hashtag PiracyImpact. You can also learn more about Revulitics and how we've supported customers' compliance programs generate more than $2.4 billion in new license revenue since 2010 at www.revulitics.com. Hi, this is Michael Goff again. Thank you for listening. And as a reminder, this podcast was recorded by Revulitics, which is now a part of Revenera. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed today or software monetization in general, please reach out to us at www.revenera.com.